Hey everybody, welcome to this panel. I'm so excited um, to talk about the Holy Spirit this week. I'm so excited to talk about the communion of saints. I'm so excited to talk about Philippians chapter two. I'm so excited to talk about anything that we all wanna talk about and that our panelists will bring up to us today. Um, I have three wonderful guests. Before I uh, introduce them to you, I want to recite the Apostles' Creed, such as we are today, all the way from I believe in God to the communion of saints, right? Which is where we ended last time, I believe. So let's do that together. Can we do that? Let's give it a try. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Excellent work. Very good. Very good. So happy with our panelists that, that have been invited here today, that they've taken time out to join us. I'll introduce them starting down here. Jamie Noling-Auth is the campus pastor at George Fox University. You may have seen her before. You may know her from some context in chapel or elsewhere on campus. Uh, Jamie has her doctor of ministry from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, her MA from Fuller Seminary. She's super theologically trained, but also super pastoral. She's been here, I think, for four years, five years? Have you been on, on exactly campus? Exactly that, exactly oh, that, Oh, exactly yeah. that, yeah. okay. Um, and before that, you uh, was um, an assistant campus pastor at Azusa Pacific for right. almost a decade, and so tons of pastoral experience. Um, Dr. Nolingoth will be our pastoral presence here for the, for the day, for the morning. Welcome to you, Jamie, welcome. Thank you, fun to be here. Yeah. Next we have Joe Tuvenal. Joseph Tuvenal is the assistant director of the Idea Center. Hopefully many of you have got to encounter um, Joe, in your work, just registering for classes and in career counseling and in, and in meeting with people. Um, Joe's done a lot of different, different kinds of career counseling. He's worked and been a, a director at camps and just, I don't know, engaged in a lot of ways that are just super cool for Christians. So, Joe, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. And last but not least, on maternity leave, but agreed to come anyway, so grateful, Dr. Leah Payne, my colleague in the College of Christian Studies, is professor of theology and church history um, and is a wonderful church historian and in fact a scholar of some of the most prominent um, Christian groups that actually value and talk about the Holy Spirit in really outward and obvious ways. Um, Dr. Payne has her PhD from Vanderbilt University. She is an alum of George Fox University actually from some time ago. In fact, I just learned in my office earlier that her and Joe were, were, were students here together at Fox. And friends. And friends uh, on top of that. And we're in a musical together? Yep. What was the musical? The Sound of Music. And what role did you have in the musical? Let's not go. Let's oh, okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and we introduced Teddy here. Uh, there he is. Oh, look at him. <laughs> Teddy is like, Teddy is four months old, three months old? Uh, two months old. Two months old. Yeah. Two months old. And so we're super. He's just big. He's just big. Uh, and so. We're super happy to have Teddy here. If Teddy, I promise Dr. Payne, if Teddy squawks, cries, starts running away, like we don't care, we're just gonna plow through it, um, but we'll let her decide what she wants to do in those cases. So super happy to have you, Dr. Payne. Greetings. Here as well, yeah. Where do we start with this topic? I don't know. How about this topic? Um, the creed proclaims, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
And we've been talking about this idea in little bits. Obviously, you'll get more of this in your education and hopefully in your life as a Christian, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the Trinity. We've been talking about these different aspects, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Maybe just to ask bluntly, what, maybe I could go back to you, Dr. Payne. What is the Holy Spirit exactly in Christian thought? Like, what is it? Is it a ghost? Is it like part of God? Is it something that you, sh- you know, what is it? Well, I think that's a great question because if you can tell by the, the where the Holy Spirit sits in the creed, it's kind of toward the end. And in this creed, uh, the, <coughs> the older creeds tend to have less information about the Holy Spirit, mm. um, in part because the Spirit is a very mysterious person. Um, in some ways, it's, well, Jesus, I mean, he, he is mysterious to us in a lot of ways, but we have a lot more record of his life, right? Like you guys have read the Gospels, I am assuming, at some point. And so if you want to know what the sun is like, there's a, a fairly decent amount of information that you can find, right? And if you want to know um, what the Father is like, a lot of people uh, associate the Father with uh, the the Old Testament. Um, and then if you can imagine what a father is like, of course, that can get you into trouble a little bit because not everybody had a really awesome father, right? But if you have a kind of a category for understanding uh, the father, but the spirit is a lot different. And uh, the, the fun thing about you know, doing church history is that you know uh, that there's there's a long conversation about the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit is, how the Spirit functions. So um, if you have read Genesis 1, then you know that the Spirit is present at the very beginning of creation, right? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Um, but we're not actually sure. I mean, what does that really mean when you think about it? Um, so most theologians and historians will say, well, how do people talk about the functions of the Spirit? So what does the Spirit do? Um, Because if it's not uh, the Son and not the Father, then what does the Spirit do? And some of the major functions in in the Scriptures include, uh, bring, uh, according to the Scriptures, include unity, moving the church toward unity, uh, love, uh, ensuring that the, the people of God love each other, um, and also power, um, empowering people in the church to do really extraordinary things. I don't know if that's what you're... Yeah, what, what would you two add to that? Yeah, so I, I think uh, the Spirit, Holy Spirit can f- seem or feel elusive. Um, we, I think sometimes we, we, w- we think we can manipulate or control or um, create experiences where the Holy Spirit shows up, um, but I... I would not prescribe to that reality of the Holy Spirit. When I look at, at the New Testament and what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, a couple of the words that he uses that I, I try to adopt in my thinking of, of the Spirit is um, comforter and counselor. And I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar at all, so I'm not going to go towards like what those mean in those original languages. But when I think of comforter, I literally think of like what I have on my bed when I'm going to bed at night, and it keeps me warm, helps me feel safe and protected. So I equate that with the Holy Spirit as kind of this protector. And then this idea of counselor, someone that, um, that I can talk with, and that kind of intercedes on my behalf, um, or understands things that I can't fully understand, I can entrust sort of that lack of understanding to this counselor, to the spirit. So for me, the Holy Spirit is very personalized. Um, and I would say I encounter the Holy Spirit more in when I'm attempting to be quiet or still 
and that comes a bit from my more of my friends or Quaker background. So that's some of my understanding of how it kind of works out for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. <coughs> I have a little bit of a cough this morning, so I'm sorry if I'm just like hacking into this microphone. Um, I want to maybe start with sharing um, a, a piece of my own personal experience, if I can. Um, when I was in college, I was dating um, this wonderful guy who loved the Lord deeply, and I had come from a Presbyterian church background, so kind of a mainline denomination, um, pretty formal church, um, but with, I think, probably the way that we lived life together felt maybe like a non-denominational church, um, very community-oriented, pretty big church um, in California. <clears throat> And this, um, and this person I was dating um, had come from more of a charismatic tradition. And, and as, as we continued to date, we realized like, oh, we, we have some different ways that we think about the Holy Spirit. And so I think my own college experience was one that was sort of like cracking open my understanding of the Holy Spirit and, and my exposure to thinking about who the Holy Spirit is. And I think um, what I've come to is I think that probably we are relate when when we think about our relationship with God I think that we're most often actually interfacing uh, with the Holy Spirit I think that that that's probably what is most natural to most of us but I think we I think we um, maybe don't always identify that as um, interfacing with the person of the Holy Spirit I think we we often are talking to God talking to Jesus maybe not talking to spirit as much but actually I think we are um, one of, the, one of the key things for me, I think, in my own journey of learning about the Holy Spirit um, is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Because I think some of, um, you know how Leah had talked about, power is one of the big things that can be associated with the Holy Spirit, particularly, um, you know, when after Jesus' ascension in, um, into heaven, you know, go back to Jerusalem, like this, this place where all of these things had happened. Jesus had been crucified. Um, you know, there, there had been fear among the disciples. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, you know, comes um, upon them with power. But there's also um, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so um, I think one of the things to, to hold with, with that image of the power of the Holy Spirit is also um, that where the Holy Spirit is present, there's also those, those attributes, those are fruits, those are evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence among us. So yeah, I mean, I'm hearing motifs of, of power, of comfort, of, of s- just certain ways, like almost ethics and ways that we would live our lives. I guess a very practical question, and maybe it just kind of explodes into the question of just like, what is the Trinity at all? And is the Trinity even necessary? Might be from someone who says, okay, all this stuff you're saying, it sounds right, it sounds good. But like, if I'm praying or if I'm receiving comfort, why wouldn't I just say as a Christian that I'm just receiving it from God? Like what's, how is it helpful to say that I'm getting that from the Holy Spirit? Which I guess is a kind of a bridge question to thinking about why a trinity at all? Like, why relate in these three persons and one essence, homoousion? Like, isn't this all, like, is this trinity language just confusing the issue and not helping? I don't know, Dr. Payne, what do you think about this? Like, is this, is this, is that, is it helpful? Is, is, it, is it helpful to identify the Holy Spirit exactly in some way? You just gave me the hardest no, question. No, it's not the hardest yeah, question. Um, uh, well, I mean, the trinity, from my perspective, is if, if anyone tells you 
they understand the Trinity, they are lying to you. Uh, because it doesn't matter how much uh, academic knowledge you can have or how much personal experience you can have, this is a mystery, right? This is a very strange thing. The idea that there are three distinct persons and yet they are one, I mean, that is weird. <laughs> Oh, he thinks so too. He thinks so too. Um, but uh, I think one thing, and then I'd like to hear, I mean, we could talk about this for forever, and um, church historians and theologians and biblical scholars have been and will continue to do so. It's job security. But um, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I think a trinity is important is because what it tells us about, like, the Christian life, which is that the Trinity is three distinct beings who are all loving one another and turn toward one another. And that's a good model for a Christian life. I'm going to stop talking because this guy's crying. <laughs> what about this idea of, of the Trinity as being a model for Christian life? So, the, so, so one idea here then would be that why do Christians need the, or what's valuable about the Trinity in terms of thinking about Christian community? God is in community with God's self in the Trinity with these three persons turning toward each other. Is that, do you think that that's helpful? Well, I might, I might answer the first part of the question yeah. as far as just community amongst us. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I, the Trinity's hard and I'm not, I'm, I'm more of a practical theologian. It's hard for me to wrap my head around really deeply theological concepts and and but I when I think of the Trinity and, and how it ties together community for us it's the fact that my understanding is the Trinity was one of the earliest it was dogma in the early church like the the, the early church theologians decided together this is so important to what it means to be a follower of Christ to be a Christian um, that that this is going to be this is going to be dogma it's not just doctrine it's like core to the faith and to me Though I can't understand all the complexities of the Trinity, I know that my belief in it ties me to other Christians here and now and throughout time. And to me, that, that's, that's important. That's part of, of community, not just who I can see around me, but the people that have gone before me. And I actually think the Holy Spirit is, is what connects that beyond kind of time and place. Um, and so that, that's kind of that part of that function of that trinity, but that's kind of how I've been working it out. And again, it's a little more of a pragmatic answer, but that's kind of my thought. Mm -hmm. um, one of the places I'll go with this is um, I think this. There have been conversations throughout the history of the church about um, like power differentials within the trinity, and is is one part of the trinity more powerful? Um, more important, more more hierarchical than other parts of the Trinity, and and so there are many many conversations, and there are lots of reasons why that's important. Um, and you know, I think as as we look at this this image of these three parts of of God um, being. God being equal in power and how they relate to each other, it gives us this model for mutuality and um, and and for relating to one another. Um, that in my in my studies of of um, of the Trinity of the person of the Holy Spirit of of God of Jesus, 
um, as they relate to each other, there is like just this lovely mutuality, um, kind of an egalitarian way of relating to one another that I think poses this really powerful model for the church um, of being able to um, to function uh, without without hierarchy, but with um, just with this beautiful mutuality and understanding. So whether that's um, how the genders can can interface with one another, whether that's how um, ethnic groups interface with one another in the life of the church, whether that is how um, different age categories relate to one another in the life of the church. You read Galatians in preparation um, for this class, but, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's not, um, you know, it's not, Jews are more important than Gentiles, or Gentiles are more important than Jews, or men are more important than women, or women more important than men. Um, I mean, you can go through and you can look at all these different pockets of people. One is not more important than the other, and I think the Trinity has the potential to, to illustrate that like really powerful dynamic um, relationship of, of existing together powerfully um, in, in a mutual relationship. Mm. I was going to mention uh, this. May, maybe Dr. Doak has already talked to you about <laughs> y'all about this, but uh, I was going to tr try and trick question you, but I didn't want to out anybody. Um, I, I was going to ask you how many of you found Trinity in the readings uh, in Galatians, but uh, you, I won't do that because then you would have outed yourself as having not done the reading because Trinity is not actually it does not appear in the Bible. So if it doesn't appear in the Bible, like why do we believe in it? Well, like the creeds. Um, the Trinity is an effort to distill the functions of God that we see in the scriptures. So into like, okay, well, how do we see the spirit of God? Or how do we see God working? Well, God is spirit. God is father. God is son. So that to me, I'm just a practical person. I'm like, why, why do we have this thing? Oh, it's sort of like, just like the creed is like shorthand for Christian doctrine. And you can kind of like, okay, I believe in the father. What does that mean? A whole world of meaning. That's that's to me the helpfulness of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. so. Jenna, do we have anything from the class that you want to read out there? Yeah, she kind of answered actually what one of oh. the students like question well, was. Well, read it anyway. That. What the yeah, heck? so it was, um, if we can explain the Trinity, how can we defend that core aspect of our faith? And so I guess like the um, other two panelists can talk about that too. Right. And yeah, the uh, other one was like similar to that. Like, how can we talk about these like three different beings as one if that's never said like mm -hmm. like in the Bible? Like, this is this thing. Yeah, I mean, we had this, it, it's, it's true. Like, the, the sh there's no place in the Bible where there's like a chapter like, let's talk about the Trinity, right? But it's something that er the early church kind of pieced together. And so I think as Christians, there's, there's a kind of important theological point here, which is that not like every single thing for belief and faith that we have is just only exactly literally from the Bible. In fact, this reminds me, I want to ask, I want to go sideways here and ask the panel about something like this. You can feel free to not agree with me or agree, but I don't know, I felt like on the reaction papers to Monday's lecture, some of you were like, you seem to not understand a concept that I think is just pretty simple, but maybe I just wasn't saying it in a very good way, which probably happens like literally all the time. Namely that the Bible isn't God. The Bible isn't a God and Christians don't worship a book. Do, you, do the panelists, do you think that I'm wrong to say that? Do Christians worship the Bible? Is the Bible God in some way? Does anybody want to take a shot at that? So, oh yeah, yeah, I, I don't even know. It was just like a tone like people <laughs> felt like, no, it is God or it should be God or how dare you put it that way. I don't know, like this chair isn't God. Yeah. I'm not God. A book isn't God. Like I think that that's, 
pretty simple stuff. I mean, I, you know, and again, it raises the question, I think, of like, what is the Bible? And we've kind of been talking about that on and off all semester in a way. Well, I think it connects with what we're talking about today because yeah. I, I think what makes the Bible divine and instructive is the fact that it, the, it's, it was written through the Spirit. Mm. And I think that's, that's critical. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, we can confuse the Bible and make it an idol. We really can. Um, and yet it's, it's, it's what God has put into the scriptures that make it what it is. On the topic of the Trinity in the Bible, how I've worked that out for myself is that I do see moments in scripture where the Trinity is implicit. It's not explicit like, this is the Trinity, but there are several moments where the Trinity is evident mm -hmm. um, and, and even spoken to, like at the baptism of Jesus. Um, and I think that, that that's helped me work some of that out because I, in seminary, I was definitely wrestling with this, like, it's not like really obvious in the Bible, but it actually is kind of, it's there. It may be a little more subtle, but it's there. I liked when we were talking about the gospel of Mark, I, I, I thought in Mark chapter one, even you had this moment where, yeah, it doesn't say here's the Trinity, but you did have like the members of the Trinity present, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So right there, you have God and you have a son of God. And then right away in verse nine, Jesus came from Nazareth to be baptized. Verse 12, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. So no, the narrator doesn't just tie them together and talk about you know, three persons, one essence right there, but you do have a, a son, you have God and you have a spirit right there within a, just a short span of verses. So what's, what's going on there with those, those figures, I guess. So that's a, that's a specific place that I think, and there are other places too, but yeah, go ahead. Um, sure, yeah, when, uh, in this conversation about the Bible, I, um, I hope what you're hearing is that I mean, we absolutely believe in the authority of scripture, that this is like, I mean, for believers, I mean, this is, this is a, an authoritative, you know, God-breathed um, text that, that tells the story of Jesus and, and of God's people and God's love for his people um, through all of time. And, and yet, I mean, I think we've, we also have, I mean, there's no and yet. Um, my next point <laughs> would be, I, I think that we can, we have seen within the Christian church um, this, this, um, this way of treating scripture, this way of treating the Bible that, that can actually be harmful um, to others. That we, there, throughout history, there have been moments where we have not used um, scripture well. We have um, harmed one another with it. We have misused texts. We haven't understood the essence of it. And I think um, as the Holy Spirit um, brought into life, you know, this, this, this book that we are so lucky to have. I mean, we are so lucky to have this. We have to recognize that. Uh, there are people throughout the world, there have been people throughout history who have not owned their own copy of this amazing, um, life-giving story of the living God. Um, so we're lucky to have it. Um, and yet, this Holy Spirit who breathed this thing into life is also the one that helps us use it in, in the name of Jesus, to use it well, to use it in the spirit of Jesus, with the essence of Jesus. So, so to use it to harm, I mean, if, if you have to look at the Bible and see who Jesus was, how Jesus interfaced with other people, how um, those relationships, the things that God cares about, the things that Jesus did during um, his lifetime on earth, 
And, and in that same spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to show you how to handle this text. So this is, I think the Bible is, it's a tool for us. This is one way that God speaks to us and it's one way that God, um, that God allows us to, um, to share his story um, with, with all of humankind. So, but I think with the Holy Spirit um, has been at work in, in the creation of this text that we have and is still needing to teach us how to handle it well. Mm, yeah, that leads me to, okay, no, Leah, go ahead. I have, to, I have two texts here I want to get to, but go, go ahead, yeah, go on I'll this. Be, I'll be really fast. Um, so I, uh, whoever asked that question, that's an awesome question, and I'm super glad that you asked it. One of the things that I'm interested in, I'm an American church historian, so I'm like really interested in why Americans do Christianity in the particular way that they do it, because we don't do it like other people in the world, we have our own quirks, right? Like every every culture does. But um, so there are certain versions of American Christianity that emphasize things like the Holy Spirit. I come from that version myself, uh, the Foursquare Church. I don't know if anybody of you go to Red Hills Church, but that's also my church, and that is a Foursquare Church. So they're going to emphasize the Holy Spirit quite a lot. So they'll emphasize that particular person in the Trinity. There are other people who go to different versions of American churches that really emphasize the divine inspiration behind the scriptures. And some of the things, sometimes when you're in a congregation like that, and sometimes pastors make the, you know, do this too, they will sort of confuse the two, like blur the line between the divinity of, of God Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, Father, and the divine inspiration behind the scriptures. So those aren't necessarily the same thing, but if you, uh, like me, become a teacher, um, you'll find that sometimes when you're teaching things, people pick up something you're not putting down. <laughs> um, so sometimes there can be a little bit of confusion there, but there are certain types of American churches that really emphasize the the scriptures. And so that can be, that can sometimes confuse the matter a little bit. Yeah, that's a really clear way of putting it. I mean, on this on this point, somebody asks, I have, I have two questions here on text. They're both really good. One, if the Bible is breathed by the Spirit, does that mean that there's more that can be added to the Bible today since the Spirit speaks to us? Why had the biblical canon been traditionally so rigid if the Spirit is still living? So if the Spirit's still living, <laughs> Great question. is the Spirit speaking things to the church today that, you know, somehow supplement or go beyond or add to the Bible? Like how do we think about the living voice versus the text that's already there? I love this question, whoever asked it, so great. That's I, the response. Oh, no, no, I'd love Thank to respond to it, oh. but I didn't want to take up the... Oh, no. Okay. Well, one of the things that might bit. be interesting... Wait, are you going to say something? Okay. Yeah. We have talked about canon a little bit, but I mean, we've had some readings about it, but we haven't made it like a major, major focus, so... Well, something that's just kind of a fun fact is that it took hundreds and hundreds of years for the scriptures as we know of it today to be like... Sign sealed, this is the Bible. Um, but there are lots of, of Christians, and I don't know if we have any Roman Catholic students here in, in uh, this class, that have a, a larger version of the, the Bible that we ha than what most Protestants have. Um, so you ask a really good question, and then if any of you know or, I, or are LDS, Latter-day Saints, um, they, all, they have a really expansive idea of like, how the spirit of God speaks and especially as it relates to like texts. So um, it kind of depends on who, like which Christian you ask, like <laughs> how, how the Holy Spirit 
um, like speaks and whether or not uh, the spirit exceeds the Bible. Um, but most people who would identify as like evangelical or Pentecostal for that matter, or charismatic um, would say like nothing that you could say, like God can speak to you. Like how many, uh, well, I, I don't know if show of hands, but how many of you feel like God has spoken to you at some point in your life? Right. And one way that you test whether or not that's God or you're not quite right um, in the head, right, is that you would uh, talk to other Christians about that. You would uh, worship, be, you know, be in a part of a worshiping community. And also you would say, like, does this word go outside of what how God is revealed through Scripture? And if that is the case, then maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm hearing. It seems to provide a boundary, but it also provides a lot of room for the Spirit to speak in our lives, too. I mean, the Bible is a book with a beginning and an end, and it doesn't mention my name or your name or the United States of America or your job or your situation. So it seems like there's a lot of room to be, to be really specifically guided by God, by the Spirit, um, but yet within the bounds of, of the broader biblical framework. Well, I'm going to be cynical. I'm not normally cynical, but my <laughs> cynical response is I think we add to the Bible all the time. And we do that by how we interpret it. And that does trouble me um, in, in American Christianity especially. Um, and that's something that I have to be accountable to and think about, am I trying to construe something from this text that I want it to say? Because if I am, I'm, I'm adding to it. Um, and I, I want to try and understand the text as it's written, and that's really hard to do. Um, but that's my cynical kind mm -hmm. of gut response is, I fear that maybe we do add to the Bible more than we should. Hmm. Yeah, Jamie, what do you think? Well, actually, well, actually I was <laughs> wondering if you would talk more about um, the friends. Okay. And, and, mm -hmm. and I mean, all of these conversations, I felt curious just to hear you talk a little bit more about, like, from, from the theological foundation that the university comes from, are, would you tell us more about... Um, the Holy Spirit and about um, and about the Bible and how those are viewed from within our denomination is that am I putting you on the spot no, too much? It's totally fine. It's we might have to clarify that friends means Quaker. Do you know that this school was actually founded by Quakers? It's a particular group group within Christianity. So sometimes they're called friends, like with a capital F. So friends and Quakers. That's the same group. Joe is a friend. That is a Quaker and my friend. So that's confusing. But yes, yes, yes. Um, I, you know, I, I consider the Friends to be a charismatic denomination, but in a very different way from the Foursquare or Pentecostal churches. Again, because it's an it's an inward charisma. Um, it's an, kind of an uh, looking inward to the movement of the Spirit. And yeah, Friends historically have been very Spirit led. Um, so much so that George Fox, I mean, he he really was grounded in the Bible and in Scripture. But man, he was kind of radical, and he said some things, I was just reading this morning, because I was preparing a little bit for this, that he said some things that test me around the fact that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and George Fox believed the Holy Spirit speaks, can speak to anyone and everyone, regardless of just about anything, and I, I find that powerful. I have to test that against scripture sometimes. Um, but th that yes, we and we can expect that sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to us in ways that maybe challenge our traditional understanding of the Bible. 
Um, now, what do we do with that? What does that mean? Leah talks uh, basically is talking about this idea of discernment, and friends have had to work out this whole idea of like, well, if the, if I, the Holy Spirit seems to be saying something to me that seems different from what I understand the Bible to say, how do I discern if that's true? And so friends have this whole practice of discernment that they sometimes do well and sometimes don't do well. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of where I would take that. Can I give an example of that really amazing point that you just made? Um, so one, it, some of you may or may not have seen, and we had a lecturer here named Carrie Day, and she was talking a little bit about um, this idea of what do you do when it, it seems like a message from the Holy Spirit is exceeding what the Bible says. Well, uh, an example of that that comes from the charismatic tradition of which Quakers were uh, a part of as well um, is... Uh, in the early 20th century, there were a group of Christians worshiping together in Los Angeles, and there was a big, huge revival that happened out of that worship, and that, hence comes the, the Pentecostal or charismatic tradition. And they were actually, people called the police on these people because they thought that, in part, what these Christians were doing was not biblical, and what they were doing was white and black and Latino Christians were worshiping together. And they were hugging each other, and they were putting hands on each other and praying for one another. And in the early 20th century, there were many Christians who believed that that was against what the Bible prescribed for Christian practice. So you, we, you have to be really careful about saying, you know, whether or not we, we think that the— that, um, you know, the Bible says this or that about something, because we might be kind of blinded by what we see in our culture. And Joe's, uh, uh, jo Joseph's, how do you go? Joe's, Joe's okay. <laughs> Joe's really good point about how the Spirit functions and um, uh, the Spirit's relationship to the Bible, um, you know, it's illustrated in a story like that. We, you know, the general culture might say, oh, like, black and white Christians shouldn't worship together, and yet the Spirit inspires something that actually brings us to the, the truth of the gospel. Now, this leads us to another one of the texted questions, though. In, in, in the revival that you talked about, Dr. Payne, in Los Angeles at Azusa Street, when some of these denominations or Christian groups that became really, really, you know, excited about the idea of the Holy Spirit's work in the world and, and groups like the Assemblies of God and Foursquare and the Church of God in Christ and other kinds of groups kind of came out of that. Some of you might even be part of churches that are in these denominations now. The racial element was one thing, black and white people. Maybe the style of prayer, people were placing hands on each other as a specific way of praying, but people do that in the Bible too. Was it not also about some of the practices of groups like that? Like for example, someone texted and said, I would love to hear the panel's view on speaking in tongues. So this is something that the New Testament talks about several times. It happens in the book of Acts, as we mentioned in the lecture on Monday. Is speaking in tongues something that Christians still do today? If they still do it today, should they do it? Is it kind of, is it, is it weird? Is it beyond the pale? Have you witnessed this? Have you experienced this? What, um, what would you all say about that? You haven't talked no, too much. I you can go right ahead. Yeah. I, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah, I talked too much. No, no, no. We'll, we'll just keep well, going. Yeah. I want to hear from Jamie after this because when she talks about her interreligious experience with a charismatic person. Um, but yeah, I come from the Foursquare Church, and the Foursquare Church uh, believes that the Holy Spirit can move through speaking in tongues, through um, what it, the scriptures call glossolalia or xenoglossia. So I myself am a practitioner. So um, it gets associated with really, really weird people when you look at the like how it's represented in pop culture. Uh, but uh, many people, I would guess there are some people in this room um, who have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit through speaking in unknown tongues. Um, now, early Pentecostals did it and uh, expected really radical things to happen, like 
this is not even, this, this is a true story. There are Pentecostals in the early 20th century who believed that God had given them the language of Chinese. They didn't realize that that is like kind of a misnomer. Um, but they, they thought, okay, God has empowered me to speak to the people of China. I'm just going to move there. And they did. You guys, can you even imagine that, right? They believe that God had given them a, a foreign uh, language. So um, some people, uh, that is how they experience speaking in tongues. It worked out for a few people, I'm just going to say. Uh, not everyone who tried that, it did it work out, but it worked out for a few. Um, but sometimes some people experience uh, the Holy Spirit speaking through them. Uh, that's how most Pentecostals uh, talk about it, in a language that they don't understand. So um, I don't want to dominate this, but so if you want to talk to me about that, you feel free to email me about that at another time. But I want to hear about Jamie, like what was your experience as an yeah. adult? Because I grew up with it. It wasn't yeah. weird to me as a kid. Okay. Um, hopefully this story won't be too long. Um, this is, this was the starting point for, you know, I told you I was in this dating relationship with this guy who just loved the Lord so much. And, um, and so we had met we were in a study abroad program. We spent our whole sophomore year with our university living in Germany. And so in our house of 50 college students, um, there were some in our house who were walking with the Lord, who loved God, and there were others who had, had no relationship with God, no context. And so um, in, in our study abroad program, um, this guy and I were, were kind of like the leaders in the house, um, sort of unofficial, well, and maybe a little bit official too, because we started leading all sorts of things. But we kind of became the leaders in the house for, um, for the Christian community and had the opportunity to lead a number of our friends to the Lord, and, and you know, we saw, um, some people just have these transformational um, experiences of like really coming to know God in a way that like their life looked totally different. Um, so it wasn't until after we got back from Germany and we're on our campus and now, you know, a year later, whatever, we're dating, um, that we started kind of getting into some of the differences in our theology and tongues was like the big issue for us. Because we both had seen each other's faith be like, Im like impressive to one another. Like we both, you know, looked at each other and we we're like, "Wow! Like you really love God. I really see God working through you and God working in you." But I, as I told you, I grew up in kind of like this formal Presbyterian background, and so he said to me, "Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit?" And I'm like, "I've been baptized," <laughs> and he's like, "No, baptized in the Holy Spirit." And I'm like, what is, I, like, I've been baptized with water. Um, and he's like, this is, so this is like a major concept within the charismatic movement that comes from scripture, scriptures that you read for preparation for class today, this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I have. And he's like, I think you have too, because I see how God works through you. But I'm like, I don't know that I have. And he's like, you must have been. You just don't remember. You know, I mean, so he's saying this to me. And meanwhile, he's, you know, a bunch of his friends were saying, but you don't speak in tongues. Like, how can you not speak in tongues and, you know, and have this relationship with the Lord? Because in, in that church context that he was coming from, um, like, that was kind of an essential of an essential manifestation of um, an evidence of the Holy Spirit. In, in my life. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't speak in tongues, and I don't know if I even want to speak in tongues. Like, that is so foreign to me. 
Um, and, and so, and meanwhile, like the way that they're talking about some of the manifestations of the spirit, like honestly freaked me out because I had no context for it. I mean, there were, you know, like dancing in the spirit, um, laughing in the spirit. I'm like, I don't, like, I really respect your relationship with the Lord and I see how God works in you and through you and I trust your whole group of friends, but I am afraid to go to church with you. Um, and, and so, like, we spent sort of this summer of, like, trying to understand each other's church context and really, like, believing the truth and, and wanting to, like, honor what each other were coming from, but, but feeling like it was so foreign. Like, wow, how are we even in the same religion? Um, <laughs> and so I spent a whole bunch of time studying, like, um, the gifts of the Spirit and and speaking in tongues, and, and even like, so I, I come from the California Bay Area, and so he said, why don't you visit the following churches when um, you're home for the summer? And I, same, you know, gave him like all sorts of reading assignments. One of the things we realized is like, there's like a whole different group of like leaders in each of these churches. So he'd say names of Christian leaders and I'm like, who's that? And then I'd say names of like big leaders that I feel like every Christian should know. And he's like, I've never heard of them. And I'm like, how do you, what? How have you never heard of, you know? And we realized like, wow, like there's these two totally different worlds within Christianity and there are actually more than that. Um, so I went to some of these churches that were like going, that were having revivals and, and some of these worship experiences and I'm like sitting in the back row, like, and I went by myself and I'm like, whoa, this is like really, really different than like what my church does where, you know, we're kind of the stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight kind where we say, you know, there's a lot of liturgy. Um, there's, you know, it's a lot of tradition. And so we, um, so anyway, so that's, that is my context and, and I'm sure can raise a lot more questions. But I think with regard to speaking in tongues, what I've come to is um, I do believe that speaking in tongues is a thing. Um, it is real. It is a gift. It is a way that God still does move. Um, I don't think that everyone has, I mean, that, so you're getting my opinion now. I don't think everyone has this gift. Um, I think God moves in a lot of really mysterious ways. I have come to appreciate praying, um, like when, when I'm doing intercessory prayer, when there are people present who have the gift of speaking in tongues, because I think I'm really aware of how my own words can fall short when I'm trying to pray for people. And so I value um, the, the way that speaking in tongues can offer these utterings of the Holy Spirit um, that the human mind um, and heart may not be able to articulate, give voice to. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a little of my own experience and I can talk more about that, but what do, what do yeah. others wanna Well, we, I, I, we could continue this for a very long time. We need to give our <laughs> students a chance to write their reaction papers. Um, please join me in thanking these panelists for this great session. <laughs> <laughs>